Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. Solo is the ultimate tool for aerial video and photography. Whether you're a first-time pilot or a long-time pro, Solo is the most powerful and easiest to use drone on the market. Solo is designed from the ground up to give you the best overall aerial experience imaginable. Solo pairs smooth flying characteristics with powerful features, making it easy for you to get great professional shots from day one. CableCam allows you to lock Solo on a virtual cable between any two points in the air, so you can focus on camera work. Pan and tilt the camera freely without needing to keep track of the direction of the copter. Solo can even memorize your framing at each end of the cable, then smoothly shift your camera between the two points, easing into and out of the moves like a seasoned professional. These features are made possible by Solo's two onboard computers, which enable radical breakthroughs in both flight and camera control. This makes Solo the world's first smart drone. By harnessing the power of these computers, even brand new pilots have the ability to capture beautiful cinematic shots that would otherwise require years of practice. The included mobile app gives you a beautiful live view from your GoPro, easy access to Solo's exclusive shot modes, and even helps you learn how to fly with a built-in flight trainer. We've worked closely with GoPro to make Solo the world's first drone to give you full control of your GoPro through both our mobile app as well as dedicated buttons on Solo's controller. This controller was designed from the ground up to give you an unrivaled aerial photography experience. Its gaming controller-inspired ergonomics will feel familiar even to brand new pilots. It also has its own built-in computer, putting control of both the vehicle and the camera at your fingertips. All of these features are seamlessly integrated into a simple, all-in-one system, giving you the power to easily capture amazing aerial photography. Hey, who needs two years or even six months to learn one of these things? As you can see, things are moving so fast in the drone technology world that anyone can achieve some pretty amazing shots. In fact, it's also revolutionizing the marriage industry. We've all heard of wedding photographers and wedding videographers, Imagine having one of these at your disposal, and that's exactly what's happening. Movie-style footage that makes your marriage video look just like a Hollywood wedding. Check this out. More videographers are using small drones to capture that perfect, death-defying shot of a wedding. There's an explosion of this technology, and it's not going to go away if they just tell us we can't use it. Mr. Joker has been an Air Force photojournalist since 2006 and plans on retiring this month. He hopes to use the drone he built himself to make aerial videography his professional specialty. There's no view like it. It's absolutely incredible to see the view from the air. Everything looks amazing. The people in the wedding look amazing. It looks like something out of a storybook. It looks like something out of a movie. Wow. <laughs> Your own wedding being shot like a movie, that's incredible. But Hollywood news and weddings are not the only industry jumping on this drone bandwagon. So is politics, unfortunately. Just when you thought you'd seen everything of how they try to get their message across to us, politicians are now using drones to provide the latest wow factor to get your vote. Watch this. It's just who we are. Put the shouting aside and just get to work. In the next few days, we'll decide whether Michigan keeps moving forward or goes back to troubled times. It's the Oregon way. Cory Gardner, a new generation, a new kind of Republican. Liberals call this flyover country. It's an insult. Well, hey, that gets your attention, doesn't it? Just when you thought you'd seen every trick in the book from politicians, wow. Now drones are helping to drone on for your vote, ha ha. Uh, but not to be outdone is the rest of the entertainment industry. Whether choosing drones to create a light show or Walt Disney using them to create flying puppets or even Circus de Soleil using them for flying lampshades. 
drones have become the latest trend in entertaining and wowing a whole crowd of people. Let's take a look at some of these examples.
wanted is to uh, explore what could we do with an emerging uh, new technology, the quadcopters here, and give it some meaning, give it some magic, and bring it to another level. We have been doing research with flying machines for over 15 years. Using algorithms that we've developed, we can dynamically control a large number of flying machines with great precision, do things that would be impossible to do with human pilots. We saw right away that there was a potential with quadrocopters to explore where else could we go and what type of interaction could they have with humans. We have synchronized groups of flying machines to music, have built structures with ropes and bricks in front of live audiences, performed various balancing acts, and even explored human flying machine juggling. What's fun is to imagine what else could we uh, put on them to make them fly, and is it possible to make the quadcopters disappear? So we did a number of tests. We came up with all kinds of ideas. We, we even had, you know, uh, flying heads to see, you know, what kind of effect it, it, could, uh, it could create. Take a deep breath. Open up for new possibilities. Their sensation in innovation. This year we bring you a show without artists, a show without stages. Amsterdam Arena. Welcome to the world premiere of Air, the first drone entertainment show in the world. Okay, looks like there's going to be a rise of new entertainment from the drones, just when you thought you'd seen it all. We've got uh, drones, drone races, drone ballet, drone light shows, anything to grab your attention for the entertainment industry. In fact, speaking of grabbing your attention, did you really think that advertisers wouldn't pick up on this too? Unfortunately, they have. Move over old-fashioned commercials, now they're turning drones into literal flying billboards. Yay! And they're so serious about it, they're paying big bucks for it. One guy who's the founder of Dronecast, a drone advertising business, said this, quote, when I first started, the idea was to fly for $100 a day, but then we got a large offer for $25,000 for four hours. Why? Because they can fly where traditional platforms cannot. Let's take a look at these examples. something out of a sci-fi movie, but this could be the world's newest form of advertising. An unmanned aerial vehicle, better known as a drone, able to project vision onto the sides of buildings. Tonight we're uh, trialling our experimental projector drone. At the moment the projector is kind of very stationary, but we're, uh, in the next version we're aiming to give it our pan and tilt abilities. Ryan Hamlet works for Melbourne business iDrone and has been experimenting with the flying projector for five months. 
The drone is only 50 centimetres wide, and while current trials are kept low to the ground, Mr Hamlet can picture the soaring potential. From a hardware point of view, we could, we could project onto the side of the Eureka Tower. We could take it up and uh, take it very high. With approval from CASA for commercial use, the company hopes the projector drone generates a different kind of buzz in potential clients, but it's just the tip of the iceberg in what they say is a booming industry. It's a long way off, but maybe one day scenes like this will be reality. Angus Ledwidge, Newsline. Oh joy, just when you thought you could get away from commercials by turning your TV off, not anymore. Now they're going to be everywhere. But again, that's just the tip of the iceberg concerning this invasion. That's just the media. The third invasion of drones is in the agricultural sector. You see, one of the most surprising places drones are taken off is in the agricultural community. The Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, has already issued drone permits for use in the agriculture and real estate sectors. And I know it might seem kind of odd that the agriculture industry would jump on the bandwagon with this technology given the stereotypical response to country folks uh, not being the most tech savvy people or uh, in the world. However, this is the power of this new drone technology and all its amazing benefits. Even farmers, yes farmers, are recognizing the time and money saving benefits of this new technology and are eager to learn and capitalize on this new trend. For instance, drones right now are being used to monitor crop yields as well as water usage to maximize their production. Let's take a look at this. It may seem hard to believe, but some of technology's greatest innovations have come right out of the farm. Growers are always looking for new ways to become more efficient, cut costs, and become more environmentally friendly. This latest step in precision agriculture gives farmers a new view from high above their fields. Instead of scouting a field the normal way, walking through or driving a four-wheeler, now we're seeing the whole field and we're being proactive. This is something that is very commonly used and it's no more unusual to see one of these than it would be to see a crop dusting aircraft, which as you can imagine, to farmers of 100 years ago would have been a truly miraculous piece of technology. We want to look at this as a tool for close-in work, uh, short-range work where we, can, we don't have a, a place to launch and land a fixed-wing aircraft, but we can fly the rotary-wing aircraft. Battery at 99%. At Small Vines, we're working with a farmer who already has a fairly high-tech operation. He's familiar with aerial imagery, what his crops look like from the air. <laughs> That's so cool to hear it right above you. <laughs> He's mainly trying to That's get a sense of water usage and his water damage. He's um, a unique farmer in that he plants his rows much more dense than they do in any other vineyard. So as a result, he has different water usage and there's different water stress on his plants. So he goes and walks the fields more frequently to kind of get a sense of how that's playing out with his, with his vines. And then throttle all the way down once you get down. Yep. No change. Your pilot. <laughs> that's not so hard. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things that we can do to alleviate problems like Paul's is we can take both visual imagery and near-infrared imagery. We can combine those together to create an NDVI image, which gives you a sense of how healthy your plants are. One of the things that it can indicate is water stress. Are your plants healthy? Are they not growing well? Hi, I'm Steve Redmond, Certified Crop Advisor. We're in the field today demonstrating one of the latest innovations for agriculture, especially for crop scouting. So what I'm holding is one of the newest uh, UAVs. It's a Canadian-made company. It's called Arion out of Waterloo, Ontario. This is their uh, their UAV, there's other manufacturers of UAVs. Uh, we're quite excited about this. This is actually called a quadcopter as well. So we have the four, uh, four propellers, which gives us a lot more stability in the air under higher winds. We've just been actually equipped this week with a, uh, a new camera called the TetraCam. This is the camera that's going to allow us to do NDVI images. So it has a NIR filter in it, which allows us to do a vegetative index of a field. Uh, for example, this cornfield uh, behind me, um, this year is a fairly wet year, and this year we have uh, tile drains that are working, and then, um, but we're seeing areas between the tile drains that are quite wet. So when we fly uh, the UAV over the cornfield with this NIR camera, we'll be able to see those tile drain lines uh, and the impact that that poor drainage uh, is having on the corn crop. And across the road, we actually have a wheat field that will fly as well, where the farmer is hoping to um, to split the 60-foot tile drains that were put in in the 70s and put a, a, a tile drain. So most of the UAVs, including this one, has a, a GPS receiver inside the equipment and um, 
it actually picks up. So all the pictures it takes uh, are geo-referenced and that's what we, uh, if we're gonna create management zones for a farmer or split these tile drains, we need a very accurate geo-referenced picture. So that's one of the, uh, the newest, latest innovations in, in agriculture. Uh, there's all kinds of uses for this. Every time I talk to a farmer, uh, we get a new idea of how we might be able to use this. They're being used by engineering companies to do inspections, uh, but in agriculture, uh, this is a new frontier and, and we're continuing to learn new applications for this technology. In other words, you haven't seen anything yet. So much for not being tech-savvy folks. <laughs> in fact, drones are not only being used in the air to monitor water usage and plant health and overall crop production, as you saw, but they're now being used for crop planting as well. Move over old-fashioned tractors, the new drone tractors are here. This is the Kinsey Autonomous Grain Harvesting System. What we do, we take a uh, powertrain and put it in front of a Kinsey grain cart and then augment that with some ruggedized high-speed computers, series of sensors and controls. The system looks very similar to a human control system. There's still a tractor there and it's a Kinsey grain cart attached to it. What's different about it is there's a new series of e-stops, some red buttons around the perimeter. So if someone is too close to it and they feel uncomfortable, they can hit that and it'll come to immediate stop. And then the other obvious difference is there's no one in the cab of the tractor. In the cab of the combine, there's a tablet computer. It's actually an Android tablet and it's running software that we developed, and it's the user interface of the system. What the system does, it'll actually determine the best means to get from where it's at to where it's been instructed to go to. When the vision for this came about, the autonomous system, actually my dad was riding with somebody to lunch and they got to talking about farming and he looked out and he said, you know, I believe 10 years from now, it'll be very common to see drones out uh, harvesting or planting and so you know a few years later we thought more about you know that very much could be a possibility. And it took us a couple of years just to get to the point where we were comfortable operating it in the company's fields and then another year to the point where we were com comfortable operating it with customers out there and then this year we're actually leasing the system to a number of farmers and we're leaving it on its own. <laughs> Okay, I sure hope it works. <laughs> wow. Automated tractors, drones in the sky, drones on the ground. What's next in the agricultural industry? Drones spraying pesticide? Actually, yes. Just like the other industries, you don't need a pilot anymore for anything. Drones can do it all. Watch this. Okay, so who needs humans to produce food anymore? Apparently drones can do it all. Spraying pesticide, uh, monitoring crops, driving tractors, but, but what about the other things that farms produce? You know, like animals and various meat and dairy products. Well, apparently, you don't need a human for that either. Drones are everywhere. You can now use drones to round up your herd. Sorry, cowboys, you're out of a job. You're no longer needed either. Let's take a look at that.
hey, I guess Shep did his job, the new aerial cowboy, or drone, I guess. Wow, can you believe this? In fact, we all know one thing cowboys and country folks like to do is not just herd animals, but hunt animals. And believe it or not, drones are doing that too. Take a look at this. We're using this drone today to show you some of our properties that we allow people to hunt. This is on Ferry and Gordon Road. This is a fenced-in property, but deer do occasionally get in. It's good for deer, dove, turkey, rabbits, and groundhogs. We have a hunter access program at Highland Hill Farm whereby if you bring us a locust, cedar, or pressure-treated fence post, you can hunt for the day. One post, one person, one day. If you shoot a deer, you get three free days. If you shoot two deer in any part of the season, the Highland Hill program is, we will give you back your fence posts or 25 worthless US dollars and give you the rest of the season for free. And as you see with this drone, there's a lot of areas for you to hunt. This is just one 22 acre field on Ferry and Gordon Road. Now across from this property, there is another 34 acres that you can hunt, which we'll see shortly. But the drone certainly can wisp around this farm and check out all areas of the farm for us. We also can use the drone to determine what areas need to be mowed, sprayed, or how the progress of work is going along. Now this is the other farm on 34 acres on the other side of Gordon Road and Ferry Road. This is what we call our Lazalier farm. It's a growing operation where we grow more arborvitaes, junipers, and liners in greenhouses. In Fountainville, we have three separate properties for you to hunt. This is on Route 313. This is a Norway spruce field. We grow nothing but Norway spruces in this, in this area. You can also come here during the Christmas time to cut your own Christmas tree. But as you can see, this property is unfenced and adjacent to a large park. So there are lots of deer in this, this part of the farm. The other day when I was out, I saw five turkeys. We don't see a lot of turkeys here like every day we see four or five turkeys, but it's occasionally there are turkeys here. There is an occasional coyote, and once in a great while, there's a bear. But I would say it's not a bear hunting country, and it's not very good for, for geese because they don't land. All our soils are pretty well covered with trees. The geese do fly over fairly low in, and in shootable range, but you just won't have them land here. Because as you can see, they don't like to land where there's Christmas trees. But we are within about a mile of Peace Valley of the main lake on Lake Galena, and there are thousands of geese that do fly over on a daily basis. So as you can see, lots of options to get your hunting quota with the drone. I don't know whether to be happy for the hunters or sad for the deer. They got no chance of hiding now. I mean, wow. Uh, but wait a second, I, I sure hope they don't use that on people someday. We'll get to that soon enough. Uh, believe it or not, remember the premise, Skynet is coming. That is where all of this technology is headed as we shall see. But as you can see, drones are revolutionizing all kinds of agricultural needs. In fact, they're such the new innovation that they're also being looked upon to become the new saviors for the ongoing water crisis. Watch this one. California communities suffering from extreme drought could soon get help from an unlikely source, drones. Bagad Shaban on how the unmanned aircraft could help produce billions of gallons of additional water every month. This machine, 9,000 feet up in the Sierra Nevada, is helping scientists squeeze about 10% more water out of the sky. But that job may soon be done better with drones. Meteorologist Jeff Tilley showed us his cloud seeding generator, which shoots tiny silver iodide particles into storm clouds. The process helps transform water vapor into snow or rain in about an hour. And so I assume the higher the elevation, the better results you get from cloud seeding? Uh, over the Sierra, that's very true. That's why Tilly's team at Nevada's Desert Research Institute is developing a first-of-its-kind drone for cloud seeding. Piloted planes have been used for more than 60 years and can produce an additional 1 billion gallons of water for every 25 to 45 hours of flying. But they have to stay above the clouds for safety reasons. Tilly says drones can fly through clouds and stay in the air longer, producing even more precipitation for communities devastated by drought.
You can think of it not only, oh, I have more water to shower with or water my plants with or raise crops with, you're really helping to keep the economy uh, from having a break put on it by the amount of water that's available. Tilly hopes his cloud seeding drone will begin soaking communities by the end of the year. Begachaban, CBS News, Lake Tahoe, California. It's estimated the drones could cut cloud seeding costs in half because they require much less fuel than planes. Well, see, there you have it. Drones are all you need. No more human pilots for all your flying needs, period. Drones can take care of it all. All the fresh water uh, you could ever need. In fact, pretty soon, they could also help deliver all the fresh food you could ever need from the farm, literally to your doorstep or maybe even the restaurant. Don't believe me? Here's some guys trying to put this idea into action. Watch how it turned out. Okay. De Zwaan betrekt zijn asperges al 25 jaar bij aspergeteler de Zandspui in het dorp. En ieder jaar worden de eerste asperges op een bijzondere manier vervoerd. In het verleden gebeurde dat alles met een luchtballon en een Formule 1 auto en dit keer dus met een drone. En het leek allemaal voorspoedig te gaan, maar na een tussenlanding om de accu te verwisselen ging het mis. Vermoedelijk door een technisch mankement kwam de drone nauwelijks van de grond en vloog de accu in brand. Wat een ludieke actie had moeten zijn, werd een klein drama. Uh, ja, dat is niet leuk. Nee. Nee, ik heb een gaaf idee. Met een drone, nou wat kan het origineel zijn, als we een drone asperges op gaan halen. En dan, uh, ja, dat is het natuurlijk. Now I'm not really sure what he said. I, I, I don't speak Dutch personally. Uh, but I think it had something to do with uh, the drone cooked our asparagus a little too early. It's supposed to wait until we got to the restaurant. Bummer. Okay. But seriously, obviously, as you can see, they got a few bugs to work out with this technology. But that's not going to stop this industry. No siree. Okay. As we're going to see in a bit. Speaking of drones crashing into a field there. Uh, wait a second. You, you can't have a bunch of a trash laying around from all these drones crashing here and there, whether they make it to the restaurant or not. Uh, how is that environmentally friendly today? Well, believe it or not, they're not only making drones to save the environment, uh, with cloud seeding and monitoring crops, but they're even making drones biodegradable. And so if it does crash, it simply just melts away. How? By making them from fungus and bacteria. I'm not kidding you. Great for the environment, they say. Check this one out. Flying fungus. Decomposable bio drone takes to the skies. Sporadically, new drones impress us. Take this biological drone. It has a fugal body with a protective bacteria covering so it can degrade into the landscape without leaving a trace if it crashes. This type of drone is perfect for flying over sensitive environments, or better yet, to conceal spying, says Lynn Rothschild of NASA's Ames Research Center, an advisor for the student team that created it. No one would know if you'd spilled some sugar water or if there'd been an airplane there. She told New Scientist. The body of the prototype drone is made from the vegetative part of fungi called mycelium. The drone is covered in sheets of lab-grown bacteria coating the sheets are proteins cloned from the saliva of paper wasps usually used to waterproof their nests, New Scientist reported. Circuits were printed in silver air particle ink, in an effort to make the device as biodegradable as possible. The biodrone made its first flight earlier this month at the IGEM, International Genetically Engineered Machine Competition, Student Synthetic Biology Competition in Boston. New York-based company Ecovative Design, which also makes wine packaging from sustainable materials, helped mod the fungi material into the shape of the biodrone. While the biodrone is made from unusual stuff, it also has non-biological parts that do not easily disintegrate, yet at least, such as controls, RC quadcopter propellers and a standard battery. The team, however, plans to make everything, including the sensors, biodegradable. Well isn't that great? Anything for the environment apparently. Just dissolve it away with fungus and bacteria and everything's healthy and clean. What will they think of next? Uh, actually, it's funny you should ask because uh, maybe you've heard of those farms that don't follow all those environmental regulations. I mean, 
How can we make sure that they're being compliant with what they're supposed to do? Uh, it's a challenge. They own a lot of land. It covers such a huge acreage and it's private property. How could we ever know what they're doing? Can you say drones to the rescue? Believe it or not, they're now becoming the new eye in the sky to expose all the lawbreakers out there who damage the environment, like this report shows. Now, drones are often the first choice for official surveillance or military operations. One fil American filmmaker, though, has used the unmanned aircraft to expose shady practices at U.S. farm corporations, which he claims are putting people's health at risk. One of America's biggest secrets is that farms practically don't exist anymore. Mark Devries filmed conditions he says would send shivers down your spine. Well, RT spoke to him to find out some of the unpalatable evidence he's uncovered. In uh, North Carolina, there are thousands of huge industrial pig factory farms. And each of these farms has a giant open air cesspool filled with untreated animal waste. And in order to get rid of the waste from these giant open-air cesspools, the manure is actually sprayed into the air, which causes it to turn into a fine mist and often gets blown uh, by the wind uh, right into nearby communities, which causes serious, serious health impacts and also um, deeply affects people's lives. Well, see, drones can not only help manage farms, but they can now catch those nasty corporate farms, those bad guys who are breaking the laws and harming all of us. And that's the tip of the iceberg of what these drones can do in catching the so-called bad guys. Remember how we saw earlier how drones were being used to spy on and check out where deer and other animals were hiding for the hunter's benefit? But what if we turn the tables on them for another environmental concern? and use them to protect the animals from poachers, i.e. hunters that have gone bad. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Believe it or not, they're already doing it. Watch this. Mathematics and drones may be the best hope of saving these elephants and this rhino from extinction. We take into account both the model of how the poachers are attacking the animals, as well as a model of how the animals naturally move through the park. This new effort links predictive analytics with drones to spot illegal activity in African game preserves. The computer program builds on the same algorithms developed to forecast locations of IED weapons caches in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Lindbergh Foundation's Air Shepherd program approached the Institute for Advanced Computer Studies at the University of Maryland, where the original military code was written. And where this has been tested, it literally stops the poaching. Uh, for the first time, the poachers don't own the night. Some African game preserves are the size of Connecticut and impossible to patrol on foot. So the program predicts one day in advance where the animals will be and where poachers are likely to strike. And we found that within uh, a week of starting our flights in these areas, uh, the poaching had stopped. Previously, it had been anywhere between 17, 18, 19 rhinos killed in this area a month. Uh, for the past six months now, it's been zero. The fixed-wing drone flies a pre-programmed night flight route based on the hard data. The drone is equipped with infrared cameras that send a real-time visual data stream to a command team in the field. Pre-positioned park rangers can be alerted to any suspicious behavior and surround an area in minutes. And what you're constantly doing then is creating this, this very synergistic data set of where the people on the ground who are covering these areas and driving them every day, either as wardens or taking tourists around, are inputting this data, and so every day the model gets better and better and better. Based on the program's success, Air Shepherd plans to deploy additional local anti-poaching teams in the near future. We've just arrived at Opejita's 90,000 acre conservancy in Kenya for two weeks of flight testing. We're testing three vehicles, including conventional fixed-wing and flying-wing aircraft. Look at that. <laughs> Our goal is that two ranges can easily carry, set up, and launch the drone with limited infrastructure. The ranger can easily configure a flight plan using a simple mapping interface and launch a flight that is autonomous from launch to recovery. They can also direct the vehicle where to fly and what to look at once airborne. Operating both day and night, the drone sends real-time digital video and thermal imaging feeds of animals and potential poachers to rangers on the ground using both fixed and gimbal-mounted cameras. 
This technology will make it possible for the Conservancy to conduct the wildlife census more frequently and at a fraction of the cost, providing more reliable data for managing its animal population. Which means day or night, light or dark, we're not only going to catch you, but nobody can hide. Not just the animals in the wild, as you saw, not even people. So they're using the same drone technology the military is already using to take people out with, and now they're using them to catch poachers and take them out too. I sure hope they never use it on the average Joe. I mean, that would really bug me. Ron, I just want to thank you uh, for uh, taking the time uh, to let us uh, grill you, so to speak, and give an opportunity to uh, share a lot of your uh, background knowledge, or at least that which is safe to share. Uh, you know, behind the scenes, I know obviously with your background, uh, can't share everything. That'd be a dream come true, but uh, obviously it can share uh, only that which is declassified, and certainly understand that, want to respect that. Uh, but if you don't mind, if you could start off with uh, our viewers, if you could share a little bit of uh, your background and military experience and, and things of that nature. Sure, Billy. Happy to do that. So thanks for having me here. Um, well, actually, I left home in 1970 to join the Air Force. Worked uh, 20 years, just a little over 20 years with the United States Air Force. And at that time, I was what they called a 316. So I was a missile systems analyst. So I went to a lot of electronic schools, uh, weaponry schools, and ended up working primarily on nuclear weapon systems throughout my career in the Air Force and uh, munitions of all types, but primarily missiles and warheads and that are on our big weapon systems. Okay, okay. Definitely, uh, that would be some high-tech, top-secret information. There. Absolutely. And after that, I, I've worked for the Department energy as a, as a contractor for the last 16 years after I got out of the military. And now I've come full circle and now I'm working for the Department of Air Force again out at the Nellis Nevada Test and Training Range. So, and we see all the current weaponry systems and testing programs that are going on out there. So there's a lot of things I can talk about and then there's a lot of things that I can't talk about. So. <laughs> But yeah. technology has always been fascinating to me, uh, yeah. especially as a teenager growing up my early years in the Air Force. And specifically, like in 1975, I had the opportunity to go to then Strategic Air Command headquarters. Okay. And we, uh, we were up there for two days. It was an incentive tour. We had uh, won some awards and were being taken up there to um, see what the headquarters level is all about and all that. So. Right. There were opportunities there, especially with satellite imagery. We got to uh, exposed to that, and I had wondered, why in the world are we going to? What are we going to do with satellite technology? I right. the thoughts the night before trying to sleep and think about it. I just was just kind of blown away. But thinking about it is totally different than experiencing it. So. The next morning when we got to go in and see the, some of the technology that's going on, this is 1975. Wow. Uh, I never will forget. Uh, we went in and they had this big box sitting in front of all of us at this, it was in a table. And so we were all asked to circle around the perimeter of this table. And this guy brought up uh, some imagery on his screen and he asked us, what do you think that is? And we're all just looking at it, kind of scratching our head and said, yeah. Well, it looks like water to me, looks yeah. like water. And so he says, okay, so what do you think this little dot down here on this water is? We said, I have no idea. One guy guessed uh, maybe a boat or something like that. So yeah. the guy goes over and he's got these control systems. So he hits some buttons. And you remember the old uh, black uh, eight ball? system yeah. as a kid growing yeah, oh, up yeah, you'd yeah. ask it a question yeah. and you turn it over and then the answer would come up on the bottom yeah that's exactly what I felt like watching <laughs> the screen do its thing it would just like go whoop, and up would pop the next imagery mm. so after that you could see this then the white dot down on the screen there 
and you you look at it and you go, well, you still can't really tell what that is. It just looks like a bigger dot. Right. So he says, well, so he hits his controls again, brings this imagery up on the screen, and now you can definitely tell it's a ship. Wow. And he says, well, what kind of ship do you think it is? And I, I'd never been out on water or like that or anything. Yeah. Uh, pretty much inland my whole life growing up in St. Louis, Missouri. So um, he says, well, okay, so he does this eight ball th- effect again and brings this uh, picture up. You can yeah. definitely tell now it's a sailboat, okay. like a three-mast sailboat. Oh, wow. And he's looking at it, and he says, well, how many people do you think are on board this boat? Yeah. Just again, we're all just in awe about this time. So we're looking at it, and we go, "Have no idea." Couldn't. I, and I found out later on the hardest thing to detect from satellite imagery are people, okay. unless there's large numbers or throngs of people, right. like at the mall in front of the national monuments in D.C., something like that, where you have massive crowds. Right. So anyway, he does this magic again, and the eight ball effect comes up again. And we could count them at this time, and there were 12 people on board ship. Wow, 1975. 1975. So anyway, long story short, he got to the point where he goes, what do you think the guy's name is standing at the helm <laughs> oh, of the ship? wow, no way. So he goes down to the name tag where you can read the name tag wow. on the individual. Wow. And again, 1975, I'd never seen anything or experienced anything like that. Yeah. So it was mind-blowing mind for that time frame for me. Yeah. And I thought that was mind-blowing until I was working on my master's, and I got to, at that time, I was at Vandenberg Air Force Base, working in a weapons storage area there, and got to go to Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Okay. I was working on my master's program, and one of the instructors we had, he was a JPL professor okay. there. Really sharp guy. Worst grade I ever got in any class in my <laughs> master's program, but this guy was really sharp. But anyway, yeah. we got to go down to JPL Laboratories, and there we found the Voyager was the program we were doing. I was doing a system, systems master's program right. on systems management, and this guy showed us the technology. To, actually took us into the actual control room at JPL at that time. And we're watching imagery coming back from the Voyager satellite. And it was mind-bending. Wow. Again, you see the... And we all got packets at the end of the tour, and we saw the, the imagery come, that came back from... Now, this was Voyager 1. Right. So this was right at 1980. Okay. So when you see that and you hear the time frames that they're talking about that these systems come back from space it takes days right for this imagery to come back through space so anyway they've bypassed saturn and, and all these things and they're on their way to jupiter yeah. and it's just again it's just mind-bending yeah. so you think in the mid-70s and the early 80s this was 1979 we did the jpl tour right, right. so technology um, has always um, amazed me yeah, what we have out there yeah. still amazes me to this day with my current job at the test site. Yeah. So, now the 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 shots there back from the Voyager. I mean, do you recall the uh, the quality, of the resolution that you, you the images? Oh, the the handout packages. I still have them at home, and uh, to this day I keep those because um, I was so fascinated with the clarity. Yeah. Uh, you can count the craters and. I mean, as it just left Earth's orbit and you know, down to the gnats, yeah, uh, eyebrow on the craters and the systems as wow. it passed each planet. See, because I've always wondered that. Sorry to interrupt you, because you know, typically if they'll show, hey, we got some uh, uh, video in or pictures in, what have you, from the latest flyby of such and such planet or whatever, it always seems to be pixelated. Maybe doctored or yeah, and I'm going like, yeah. are you serious? That's all the <laughs> but you got to have better technology than that. And that's specifically why I wanted to ask you that. I'm going like, I bet you it's a lot more clear than what we get. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, what the, the premise that we're sharing with the viewer, too, is just, you know, we just got done seeing how uh, with drone technology, it's being used to find stray animals. It's being used to find bad humans, i.e. poachers and stuff. Right. And, uh, I mean, we're talking about not only technology that's been around for 40 years, you know, with the, the earlier example you're sharing. 
uh, with the people, I, I'm sure on that boat, they didn't know that they were being watched. No, I, the, the I'm, things, I'm right? certain they yeah, didn't right? know that. So that was out there 40 years ago, So when, and, and that's what's concerning. Now you unleash all this other stuff that in the public with drones and stuff, and it's like, not only what do you really have that we don't know about, but uh, what else are you using to literally monitor people we're just clueless of? And you throw all that into the mix, it's like, man, you're talking about George Orwell, 1984, on steroids. Absolutely. And that's kind of how I felt when we went from Voyager 1 and then I saw imagery back from Voyager 2. Okay. And then you think, wow, how can it get any better? And then Hubble Telescope came out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it just keeps advancing, keeps advancing. And uh, to me, this gets more and more mind-bending. Yeah. Do you think, uh, this is, I don't know if this ever really gets mentioned, maybe it's just a, uh, a conspiracy guy in me, so to speak. But, uh, you know, Hubble, we always say, yeah, they're going to show that in space. They're, they're doing it out that way. Right. I wonder if it's ever pointed back this way. That's a good question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a factual answer to that, but yeah. I'm, I'm figuring out. It's like all technology, I think. The computer was designed to help us manage our lives better, be more organized, uh, help us bring... Like right now, you don't even have to go to a library anymore. You can yeah. find out about anything that you ever wanted to know online. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, I'm glad you said that. Uh, we had talked to behind the scenes. Uh, an easy way to demonstrate to the viewer that uh, technology is much more advanced, and all you got to do is just do your homework, and it's there for you to discover most of it. I think there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. We're still behind, but... Uh, but you brought that uh, example, that Almec. Could you mention that for the viewers to go sure. check out themselves? Sure. And if, like you, I, I was amazed that you had never heard of Jane's Almanac. Okay. Jane's Almanac has been out again ever since I was a teenager, uh, and it gives you all the military uh, systems that we have in our arsenals, what the Russians have, basically everything that is known, or that is not in a top secret level is published in that yeah and it gives you all the detailed information for for example like on the peacekeeper missile uh, that it had 10 warheads on each missile platform right or up to 10 right and then they uh, 150 kiloton weapon systems and it gives you all the all the minor details and statistics on every weapon system that we've ever had yeah which again which is uh, I appreciate that because to me it adds credence to you know, this isn't, we're not getting our information from joeschmo.com or wackyconspiracyguy.org. And it's readily available it's, to the public. And, and go check it out for yourself. Yeah. And I think it just adds a little weight to what we're trying to get across is right. there's a lot more out there than you realize. It's much more advanced than you realize. Uh, and again, even with that almanac, it to me still uh, is the mind-blowing effect is, okay, they're printing that. That's, that's public knowledge. They'll let us know that, which is mind-blowing how advanced it is. Yeah. What do you really got out there? <laughs> you know, as mind blowing as that is, we're still behind the curve. It's just common sense. Uh, but speaking, of, you know, before we, before we let you go, Ron, uh, we talked about examples 40 years ago, 1970s, 1980s. Uh, just off the top of your head, is there anything that was kind of wowed you in the 90s and maybe uh, 2000s? There are, and many of those today that um, I'm around or get to experience. Um, I can't publicly talk about it this time. Okay, gotcha. Uh, at some point, I'll be debriefed when I retire and things of that nature. But even gotcha. then, I still will be obligated to protect our public and exactly and our secrecy. Right. Okay. Okay. But hey, just the '70s and '80s stuff. Right. It, I think it gets the point across. You know what is really out there that we have no clue. And again, uh, the example of being monitored from the sky people and it's not just being done it's been done for decades the technology's been there for decades and it's being done uh, oftentimes unfortunately without people even realizing right and I think there are in from my background even today we tell too much yeah. through television and some of that technology that can't even harm our nation yeah. at this time and, yeah so there's a lot of things that we need to protect um, but Big Brother is out there. Big Brother is alive, well, and busy trying to keep us safe. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ron, thank you again for uh, taking the time to let us uh, again pick your brain and uh, fascinating stuff. And I know 
I know it's still the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, but uh, just what you're able to share, declassified information, I think, uh, gets the point across. But thank you so much for taking the time to share. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is we have sin. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we, need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem, that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says, uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. Don't ever bear false witness. That's the Ninth Commandment, which means lying. So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy to get into heaven, just march on in there yourself, all by yourself. You don't need God's help. Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pulled the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer, and the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place, and he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. And again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.